Welcome back to another episode of the Geek Roundtable. This is episode number 54. For today's roundtable topic, we're going to be discussing the original Ghostbusters. And joining me for today's roundtable are my good friends Neil, Rick, Haley, Beth, and Melody. This was a lot of fun as a conversation. I'm a huge Ghostbusters fan of the original. And obviously, just uh, to warn you guys, this was recorded middle of last year. So a few months before the new movie came out. So you will hear us discuss us excited for the new movie. It's just because we had not seen it yet. Obviously, I think we've all seen it by now. Uh, it was amazing, by the way. I loved it. And I'm sure I'll be doing another Geeks Roundtable. Also, I just want to give you uh, a heads up about the audio. It's one thing about recording remotely. I used to do, we used to actually sit around a table, and hence the name, The Roundtable. And with the pandemic, we've obviously gone to Zoom and uh, remote recording. And audio is iffy. Sometimes it goes in and out. Sometimes it's scratchy. Sometimes it's... You know, it's, it's not the best, and I do what I can with the audio that I have. So unfortunately, it won't be pristine as I would hope. But hopefully you guys can still enjoy it and don't let the audio uh, distract from the topic. It is a lot of fun to discuss uh, these nerdy and geeky topics with some amazing friends of mine who are just nerds and geeks in their own right, and they just enjoy uh, these topics. And I love being able to just gush about something. Uh, as you may know, this podcast isn't really much on criticizing things, and occasionally we will criticize something, but I'm more about positivity, uh, you know, finding the awesome thing about that one thing. You may not have liked the movie, but you probably really enjoyed a certain scene or a certain character, so that's what you should talk about. Don't sit there and rip apart something that somebody loves just because you didn't like it. At least that's my opinion. So, anyways, enough about that. Let's jump on in to episode number 54, our roundtable discussion on the original and the best, Ghostbusters. You know, it's just occurred to me we really haven't had a completely successful test of this equipment. I blame myself. So do I. Well, no sense worrying about it now. Why worry? Each of us is wearing an unlicensed nuclear accelerator on his back. Yep. Let's get ready. Switch me on. Right, it's time for another roundtable, and joining me are my good friends Neil, hello, Rick, how you doing, Beth, hey there, Haley, hi, and Melody, hello. Uh, today's roundtable, we're going to be discussing the one and only, the original Ghostbusters. Just for those who don't know, if you live under a rock and never seen Ghostbusters, and I don't know why you'd be uh, watching this or listening to this podcast, but uh, it was released in 1984. Uh, it has a runtime of one hour, 45 minutes. It's written by Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis, directed by Ivan Reitman. It starred Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Sigourney Weaver, Harold Ramis, Rick Moranis, Annie Potts, and Ernie Hudson. It's a short synopsis. Scientists and ambitious paranormal researchers, Dr. Peter Venkman, Dr. Raymond Stultz, Dr. Egon Spengler, find themselves out of work, intent on proving everyone wrong, the team comes up with Ghostbusters, a paranormal search and destroy service, targeting the Big Apple's rogue spirits with business booming. They add Winston Zedmore to their team. Now the possessed former client Dana Barrett and her love-smitten neighbor Louie Tully are up to something, eager to usher in a new era of evil with 
ancient shape-shifting demon Gozer the Destroyer. Let's just jump on into our first question. Do you guys remember the first time you saw Ghostbusters? Where were you? How old were you? Uh, Neil? Uh, It was when it came out in the theater. It was at the AMC Theater in Westminster, Colorado. Uh, My dad took me to see it, and I fell in love with it. And I think he did, too. And we went and saw it several more times. I was 11. Did I say that? Yeah, I was 11. Cool. Awesome. (laughs) How about you, Rick? Uh, I might be the oldest person here. I I was actually 24 (laughs) when the movie came out. And I remember very clearly because I was in Maryland uh, in Chevy Chase. I went to see it. It was literally a dark and stormy night. (laughs) 7.30 showing. It was raining like crazy. Went into the movie theater in a very gothic theater. And about halfway through the movie, the power went out. Oh, And everybody, I mean, there's all this lightning and thunder and the power went out. And at first I thought, that is an amazing effect. (laughs) And the power didn't come on. (laughs) And we all sat there. It took about a minute or so and then the power came back on. But that was awesome. I'll never never forget that. That's awesome. Especially for a a semi-scary movie, you know, about ghosts. Right? That's cool. Uh, How about you, Melody? I was negative six when the movie came out. Uh, <laughs> so you didn't see it in theaters. So you didn't see it in theaters. I honestly don't remember when I first saw the movie. I honestly probably saw the cartoon first um, and caught the film while it was on TV. My parents liked Ghostbusters well enough, but weren't really aware of its existence. More so that like, Oh, it was that place doing externals around the corner on St. Mark's because my parents are from New York. Um, mm, gotcha. But uh, but yeah, I was probably pretty young, like probably under like under 10 yeah. when I first saw it. Very cool. How about you, Haley? So I was, wow, math, ne- negative one. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> I liked I like Melody's quick math there. I was like, I'm not ready for that. I wasn't I wasn't born um when Ghostbusters came out and I definitely saw both of the first one and second one several times. I don't remember any in theater experience just watching it, I think on video with my parents. Yeah. But I do remember very vividly I had a Slimer action figure that came in this like special jar container that had like ectoplasm. Mm. And I mean, it was basically, it was basically gack or slime or what, you know, kid slime. Mm -hmm. And I remember this so well sitting on the table, like my mom cleared off the table because it was going to be really messy. And I opened it up and it was like all (laughs) purple and oozy. And (laughs) and then there was a slimer figurine, an action figure inside of it. And you like pulled him out. Um, And that was probably when I was, I want to say four five or six. So probably right around the time the second movie came out, but I yeah. just vividly, I vividly remember that. And I don't know if it's still in my parents, my mom's possession, but um, that was my first like ghostbuster memory that I can. Nice. Think of. Nice. How about you, Beth? Um, well, I was three when it came out. So I don't think I saw it in the theaters, um, but I know I was absolutely obsessed with it. Like about five and six, I remember watching it on repeat as a kid. Mm-hmm. That was like my favorite 80s movie because it scared me because I was a kid and it was scary. And it was so entertaining, though. And it had all yeah. these jokes that I didn't get. But as I got older, I started getting them. So every time it was like a new experience with the movie. And I yeah. always really appreciated that. And uh, yes. yeah, I remember I actually had a Slimer a pencil topper. 
that I took to school. Um, but yeah, it was because I was so young when it came out, when they had the 30th anniversary, I went to see it in the theaters because I wanted nice. to have the theater experience at least once. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I was young. Very, very <laughs> cool. Yeah. No, I wasn't young. I was 14 years old uh, when I saw it and I saw it in a, in a theater. Uh, we used to call walk-ins because my family used to do drive-ins all the time. So this was a special occasion to go to a walk-in. Uh, I saw it in this in the city of Brea here in California. Uh, I remember exactly there was a Swinson's ice cream shop. It was a popular ice cream shop back in the day. But I do remember my family going there to Swinson's and then going to the movies and seeing Ghostbusters. And I saw it many times after in the theater because um, I, you know, obviously I enjoyed it. But um, uh, cool. So let's go ahead and move on to the next question, which is your thoughts on Ghostbusters. Why do you think it was such a huge success? Obviously, we all like, at least liked it, if not loved it. But why, why do you think it was such a huge, I mean, it was a success then. It's even bigger now because of all the sequels and just like a, it's built up so much over the years, but it was big back then as well. Just your thoughts on, first tell me, obviously you liked it, why you enjoyed it, and then why do you think it became so popular? Haley? So I've always been a big sci-fi fan, sci-fi nerd, and I also really love the supernatural and, you know, that the ghosts and spooky element, even as, even as a kid. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that was one of my initial like interests, but I think in general, just visually, I'm thinking, you know, from when I was a kid and even as an adult, it's such a fun movie and it's such, it's, it stands apart from a lot of other movies. It's just, there's so many unique qualities about it. The characters, the whole concept of this identity they have that they're not, this is before I feel like now there's all these TV shows about ghost hunting or, you know, catching, you know, daring the person to go in the haunted house. But this was like they were running a legit business and it was all backed <laughs> by science. It was they were all scientists. And I think that was what was so fun about it. It had a very cool like the geeks were the heroes and yeah. even Slimer. I mean, there were a lot of scary moments, but then there was a lot of humorous um, that I think appealed to me as a kid that I just really enjoyed. Um yeah, so cool. that was that's my I, I've loved it and I've always loved it. And um, I would I, you know, I still watch a day if it comes yeah. on or I sat I sadly have not done the I didn't do the anniversary screening. I haven't actually seen it in a theater. So maybe the next time. I don't know when oh, that'll happen. Yeah, I'm sure they'll play it again. They're always another yeah. movies in theaters. So, yeah. Uh, how about you, Rick? Um, it checked a lot of boxes for me. I mean. At 24, you know, I, I never, I didn't have that kid experience at all. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there weren't that many movies around that really dealt with, you know, ghosts and all of that. And the ones that were, were more towards the horror side. Mm -hmm. so this being a comedy was, just, was appealing to me. But, you know, it checked the geek part of me. It had tech. You know, I loved the proton packs. I love that whole idea, mm -hmm. you know, and the fact that it started, I, my I work in education, so the fact that it started off in a university and it was a whole bunch of, of you know PhD professors who were going to go off and you know make this thing happen mm -hmm. that that was also really cool. I mean, that made being you know at least two of the guys are smart. I don't know how to make them, you know, but it made them like I said, it made them heroes. You know, yeah. it, it made that knowledge or being someone who was knowledgeable cool. You know, the special effects were awesome. It was really the whole package. Yeah. And when, and when I think about it, I mean, back in the 80s, the idea of a blockbuster 
movie really hadn't really gotten started yet. And so Ghostbusters was like a phenomenon. I remember everybody want, everybody talked about that movie. When yeah. I went to work, everybody was talking about the movie. Everybody wanted to go to this movie. And obviously these are all adults and they're all like, oh my gosh, I gotta take, I gotta go to this movie. I gotta take my kids to see this movie. Um, and it was one of the first movies that had humor that kids could get. And it had humor, as Haley said, that the kid it might go over the kids' head, but the adults got it. Mm-hmm. So the movie aged well from that perspective. You could always watch it and it was still really funny, maybe yeah. for different reasons. Yeah. You know, when the whole pandemic thing hits and all the movie theaters closed down back around September of 2020, AMC started opening up theaters, but they didn't have any new movies to show. So they were showing old classics. Yeah, and I remember one of that. the first movies they showed was Ghostbusters. And I went out with a friend of mine to go see it in the theater. And we were the only two people in the theater. <laughs> it was so like amazing. a private screening. Yeah. Actually, it absolutely was. Yeah. So no, awesome. I, I've always enjoyed it. Every time I watch it, I enjoy it. I mean, I own it so I can watch it whenever I feel like it. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. How about you, Melody? Yeah, I mean, I would say it's interesting because I definitely loved Ghostbusters as a kid. And I still like Ghostbusters. I love the franchise of Ghostbusters now. I feel like I have a more complicated relationship with the first movie specifically because Mm -hmm. watching it as like an adult woman, the real horror of Ghostbusters is not Zool, but like the way everyone treats poor Sigourney Weaver in that movie. Um, That's true. uh, And like, it's interesting because I think in some ways, I agree with you, Rick. It's aged incredibly well, right? Like, I think, like, first of all, the special effects are probably the main reason why I love this movie. Um, They're just so good. The design of every single ghost is very good um, and, like, very iconic. And I think that, like, yeah, the... And then, like, the other reason is, like, yeah, there's just, like, a lot of really great comedic things in it as well, such as, like, um, I mean, just, like, the chemistry between a lot of the actors and you have, like, Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd who are together on Saturday Night Live bringing a lot of, like that style of humor to like a spooky thing. Mm -hmm. But I would say like as a whole, as a franchise, it's just like a very fun thing with like great design ghosts. And I also think it really just like, especially the first movie just showcases like New York city. There are like scenes at the New York public library and scenes like, you know, all over the city. Um, And then it puts them in this kind of like new fun context when I, which I think like when you're a kid who goes there often, uh, is like very fun. Yeah. And also yeah. the toys were like, agree, very good. <laughs> <laughs> nice. How about you, Beth? Well, as I mentioned this earlier, but what I loved was it was scary for a kid and it was funny. And I kept getting more out of it every time I watched it. I so, Some of those jokes, I was surprised it went over my head as much as they did. It's like, where do these <laughs> stairs lead? They go up. Didn't understand that till I was a teenager, honestly. <laughs> and of course, once I got it, I was laughing. because I'm like, oh my God, that was so hilarious. Why did I never get this? Um, but I think why it resonates so well is because the characters are so well done. Mm. You know, they're all very different in how they approach the whole world. And you've got everything from Ray's, you know, excitement over everything. And Egon's more, you know, scientific approach to things to Vankman's complete disbelief of all of it. And he's just a sarcastic honestly a bit of a douche but sarcastic <laughs> guy who's making fun of everything is just like he slimed me you know yeah, yeah and so and then ernie comes in and he's the everyman you know he's yeah. just like well okay well i'm going to represent the audience right now who's like what is going on right now how would i yeah. adru- how would i be in this situation 
Yeah. And so I feel like that's what really has kept it alive because it never took itself too seriously, but it also didn't completely go off the rails as far as being ridiculous. Yeah. You know, with Slimer even, you know, he was still scary to some degree, mm. you know? And I mean, the, the ghost in the library was scary and Zool was terrifying. It's like all these different things that came together that was very scary. Yeah. But yeah, I, I just love that it has resonated just partly because of course I loved it. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's fascinating to see how this has become a cultural phenomenon. Yeah. You know, and it, it's funny how quickly that happens too. You know, you have a movie that comes out and everyone's like, oh yeah, we think this will be good. And it goes to blockbuster status, which is cool. But then it goes to cultural phenomenon status. You're like, wow, people are talking about that thing from my childhood. <laughs> how amazing is that? Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's why I think it resonates because the characters are just really, really, really well done. Very cool. How about you, Neil? Oh, everybody pretty much covered it. But for me, um, I was fascinated with ghosts and, and mm. demons and stuff like um, Poltergeist and Amityville Horror, which were absolutely terrifying. But then you see this movie, which puts a different spin on scary movies and mm-hmm. and you, you connect with these characters. And I, I love the characters. I love the tech, especially the car. The car is always... Yeah, interests me in everything, and I had a huge, massive crush on Sigourney Weaver, <laughs> from dating back from <laughs> Alien. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you know, I, I think I hounded my dad, and I said, Sigourney Weaver's in Dad's Sigourney because we watched Alien together, and so yeah. he, I think that's why he took me to see it. But yeah, cool. Yeah, I mean, for me, I just I, as many of you said, and I think I'm more with Rick here. It was just in my wheelhouse. You know, and at that time I had seen like Star Wars obviously came out and I was really young for that. I was like seven or six or seven for that. But this was another like same with like Goonies. Just the 80s roots really had some really pivotal childhood movies for me because I was like in my teen, I was from 10 to 20 in the 80s. So I was at that prime age, you know, of just absorbing all these things. And I was such a nerd. And it was just fun to see, as Haley mentioned, that these guys were nerds as well, but they were cool. You know, so because I used to get made fun of, obviously, I'm sure a lot of us did, for being more nerdy in our childhood. And so it was just cool to see that. Yeah, see, even the nerds will get the get the girl or they'll win in the end. You know, it's it's it, it took them to defeat, to save the world. They saved the world, you know. And I, I don't know how it became a phenomenon just because I don't know what becomes phenomenal. And, you know, it's a it's such a hit and miss. There's some things I adore and I love. And. Yes, they're still in the zeitgeist, but they're not like the status of like a Ghostbusters. You know, obviously, you know, we have Star Wars. That's always going to be there. Uh, there's a few other things here and there, but nothing like, like, you know, Ghostbusters is just became huge. And I don't even remember when it became that big. It was a blockbuster. And then the second part came out and that was a blockbuster. And then they spun off some cartoons, you know, and then it went dead for, I mean, it was still popular and became a little cult favorite, but it wasn't until they did the remake with the women Ghostbusters. And all of a sudden it's been revitalized again. And now they're doing, you know, another sequel. So it's, it's weird. It's it's such a weird, there's, I don't, I don't think anybody can say one moment or why something becomes phenomenal, you know, in the zeitgeist and just becomes a thing. Like everybody, you say Ghostbusters, everybody knows. They're either going to say, who are you going to call? Or I've been slimed or, you know, there's always something they know. From every culture from around the world, everybody knows about this this movie. It's just, it's crazy to me. So I got some really cool behind the scenes, as I was telling you guys earlier. So we're just going to run through some of these right now before we go on to our next question. 
So I have the first one here. Uh, Harold Ramis only intended to co-write the film. He decided to play uh, Egon uh, after he felt he was the best person suited for the role. Um, and as we'll find out later, there are some interesting actors who tried out for that role. So it's not like they, they tested a lot of people. And I guess in the end, he just thought, well, I'm, none of them work, so I'll do it. So I couldn't imagine Spangler being anyone else but Harold Ramis. Yeah. Uh, and I think Haley has the next one. Yes, it says... When Luis Tully, a.k.a. Rick Moranis, mingles with the party guests, so the part where he's commenting on the price of salmon and so on, the scene is actually one continuous shot and almost entirely improvised, which I did not know that. And Me that's neither. Really, I want to go back, yeah. And watch it. That's that's a, <laughs> yep. And it's a funny one. If I, rem, I don't remember, like, there's some lines I remember, like, you know, when someone asks you if you're a god, you say yes. But I just remember <laughs> yeah. there's a really comical, like he's saying all kinds of quirky things. And it's that was taxes all taxes and yeah, 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 that was all he's improvised. A couple that was in receivership. Yes. Yeah. 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 So that's, that's, that's amazing cool that that was that all. It was one continuous yeah. shot. That's awesome. Oh. Yeah. Uh, Melody, you have the next one? In fact, almost none of the scenes were filmed as scripted. Most had at least one ad lib. And unsurprisingly, most of Bill Murray's lines are ad-libs. Yeah, that would just drive a script coordinator crazy. Um, <laughs> so somebody who works, in, who works in TV and movies, that would just drive, I mean, I mean, what are you going to expect? They're all from SNL. They're all improvisers. Yeah. You know, of course they're going to do it. And it probably was for the best, you know, yeah. but I mean, I'm still. sure some of the best lines came from that. One of my oh, yeah. other favorite movies, The Birdcage, also mm -hmm. is like mostly ad lib. Oh, and wow. the, the producer was like, we do the first take with the scripted lines, and then you can do as many takes yep. as you want. Lots of producers will that go that. Yeah. Just <laughs> give it the way it was written, please, and then you can do whatever you want. Uh, I think I a lot of people fun. do that now. Uh, Neil, you have the next one. Uh, when Vankman mentions the time Spangler tried to drill a hole in his head, Spangler's response that would have worked if you hadn't stopped me, was actually ad-libbed by Harold Ramis. There we go. More ad-libbing. Mm. That's a good line. That's funny. <laughs> uh, Beth, you have the next one? Well, in the middle of the film's initial release, to keep interest going, Ivan Reitman ran a trailer that was basically the commercial for the Ghostbusters used in the movie, but the 555 number was replaced with a 1-800 number, allowing people to actually call in. Callers got a recorded message of Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd saying something to the effect of, Hi, we're out catching ghosts right now. They got 1,000 calls per hour, 24 hours a day, for six weeks straight. Isn't that crazy? Wow. I don't remember. I, I remember the commercial, but I don't think I ever called the number. Wow, that's, that, cool. that's really interesting, given the trailer for Ghostbusters Afterlife. Yeah. It's the very end of that trailer. Yeah, it's in oh, the yeah, trailer. It's calling a number. Yeah. yeah. And it's actually Dan Eckhart that says, we're closed. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Rick, you have the next one? Um, according to an interview with Mac with Mix Magazine online, Ray Parker Jr. tried to create a song for the movie for two days. And at 4.30 in the morning, he saw a commercial for a drain company that reminded him of a scene from the film. So that commercial helped him actually coin that phrase, who are you going to call? <laughs> And the rest of the drain company. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So Gordon Weaver floating is an actual physical effect. The actress was put in a full body cast and attached to a post hidden in the curtains. According to the DVD commentary, the effect came 
from Ivan Reitman's Broadway experience. I would oh, she sleeps that. above her covers. Four feet <laughs> above her covers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you gotta you gotta appreciate the practical effects though. Oh I just, yeah. I love yeah. them so much. Like yeah. oh I I watched the well, we can talk about it late, but I watched the trailer for the new one finally. And it, it looks it looks interesting, but it's you know, there's so much C- CG, of course, and I just yeah. it's so it's so nostalgic, just the I miss the, the days facts. of practical. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um Haley, you have the next one? The schedule for getting the movie into theaters for its release date was in summer 1984 was so tight that director Ivan Reitman said that the final print included incomplete special effects shots and errors like visible wires. But remarkably, people didn't care because no, we didn't. I just was saying, I was like, it looked awesome and love the practical effects. Didn't care about the wires. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Melody? Demonic voice when Dana is possessed by Zool was actually performed by director Ivan Reitman. That's very cool. Uh, Let's go, Neil. Patty Edwards dubbed over Gozer's lines because Slavica Jovan's accent came across as comedic. Yeah, I would love to hear it. I haven't heard it. Has anyone ever heard her actual speaking voice? I haven't, but I heard that her comedic accent was the inspiration for Peter McNeil's character in the second movie, who's like the... Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, interesting. Oh, that's Googling. I'm going to Google it. (laughs) Beth. The pinball machine in the Ghostbusters Firehouse is Stern's 1980s title, Stargazer. I thought that was cool. I don't remember the pinball in in the firehouse, but... I remember them when they walked by it. Oh, yeah. I said I don't remember them walking by it. That's cool. I I literally just watched the movie today, and I don't remember that. (laughs) (laughs) For all just great reasons to rewatch it. That's right. Watch it again. Yay. All right, Rick has our next one here. Go ahead. So after Harold Ramis passed away, fans of the movie paid tribute to him by visiting the New York City firehouse used in the exterior shots. And they created a makeshift memorial featuring Nestle's Crunch Bars. Remember, he was given those by Vinkman. <laughs> and then, um, and Twinkies, which was another reference when Spangler ate one of those during that scene where they were talking about the problem, the ghost problem in New York City. Nice. That's a big damn Twinkie. 35 that's foot a, Twinkie. That's right. 600 pounds. <laughs> that's a pretty bad Twinkie. Uh, all right. Let's uh, let's go move on to another question here. Let's do, let's talk our favorite character. Let's start with Beth. I was always a freaking fan of Egon mm. because he, he was a smart guy and there was just something about, I don't know, I kind of like the smart guy. But yeah, he, as everyone mentions, you know, it was nice having that kind of nerdy smart guy in there. He mm-hmm. was kind of fun. He had a little bit of sarcastic humor. And he was a part of it, and he was one of the heroes. I, I really dug that. So always about that Egon. Nice. How about you, Melody? I think Ray is definitely my favorite character. Uh, he's just, like, so, like, pure and and dedicated to the cause. And I think that, like, part of that is, I know in some ways this was, like, Dan Aykroyd's pet project because he was really into yeah. ghosts and parapsychology and stuff. And so I, I feel like that kind of, like, passion and excitement comes through in Ray, and it's, like, very endearing to me. Yeah, very cool. How about you, Neil? Well, hormonally, it was uh, Sigourney Weaver. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think Tully was my favorite character. Mm. He was mm. just, he was a genius. I mean, like that, I didn't know it was ad-lib, but the scene where he goes through the party, you know, he's talking about the salmon and all that. And yeah, and some of his lines, you know, and just the way he, he's just an unsuspecting goofball. I just, I really loved his character. Yeah, yeah, very cool. How about you, Rick? You know, I loved 
Ray. I'm I'm with Melody. Melody. I like Ray. And there was a line. There's a line right before they um start to attack the big bad when Vinkman says, "And Ray stands the heart of the Ghostbusters," and he really is. He's the heart of. He is the heart. Scene. You're right. Yes. And I was drawn to him. And I, you know, you said for me it was almost he was the kid like innocence mm. of the team. He was the one. I mean, Egon under he, Egon was with it from a technology perspective and a science perspective. Mm-hmm. But Ray was in it because he just was into this whole parapsychology thing, this paranormal thing. Mm-hmm. It, it was it was his passion, and I really identified yeah. with that. With somebody who has that much passion and goes after it, even if he has to, you know, mortgage his yes. know, mother's home for three times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very cool, Haley. I I mean I think I I did like all the Ghostbusters, but I think my favorite was actually Janine. Mm-hmm. Um, Ghostbusters, what can I do for you? You know, and her, we got one. Yeah, they're just yeah. And her quirky, her style, and her outfits. I just remember her character was just really funny to me, and I was I just really enjoyed her. Yeah. But I would say if I have to pick out of the actual Ghostbusters, it's probably a, a tie between um, Vinkman and Ray because okay. I'm just I'm a big Bill Murray fan. So yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. For me, I. I would go with Ray for what Rick said because he is yeah, definitely the heart for sure. The Ghostbusters, he's the heart. Yeah, he's the nice guy. He's just the everyman. But then the other again, there's Winston. Winston, I love just because oh, yeah. he yeah. just had like, he was there for fun. That was he's there for a check. And, and, and at one point, he says it's not worth the money that he's getting paid to do this. <laughs> but he was just he was just enjoying. He wasn't super smart. He wasn't you know he was just like like uh, I think Beth. Mentioned that he was the everyman. He is the everyman, you know, and I, I like that aspect. I like someone who just gets put into a situation with no expertise, but he does the job and he does it well. And he's just hanging on for dear life to try and survive. You know, um, I do like that aspect of him. So it's a, it's a tough call. I, I think Ray, but since all you guys said Ray, I'll just definitely go with Winston because I think he's definitely a, a, a very cool character. And he also he also represents New York. Yeah. Yeah. You know, at the very end when he says, I love this town. I mean, yeah. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, it's set in New York. I think it's a love story about New York in a way. Yes. And he represents that. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. All right. Let's go ahead and move on to some more behind the scenes here. So I will start us off. Uh, This was the highest grossing comedy of all time until Home Alone came out in 1990. So it had the rain for about six years, which isn't bad. Oh, yeah. Haley? The Ecto-1 was a 1959 Cadillac chassis Miller Meteor ambulance slash hearse rear-loading variety. The two vehicles were actually used in the movie, one for the pre-transformation car and then the other car for the post-transformation version. Very cool. Very cool. Wow. Melody. In the dubbed French version, Bankman mentions Joseph Stalin as the potential embodiment of evil, not J. Edgar Hoover. In the Italian version, it's Adolf Hitler, although in Italian, he's called Adolfo Hitler. <laughs> in, Sp- in the Spanish dub, it's Mao Zedong. Nice. I thought that was so interesting. I was like, oh, interesting. It would make sense that they would, you know, because not everyone's going to get American, you know, bad guy. So you could get bad guy from some culture that they know. I think it makes sense too, because like, I don't want to say that the Ghostbusters movies are anti-government, but there is kind of like mm. that vein. And mm-hmm. these are all like kind of like 
authoritarian government figures, whether it's like J. Edgar Hoover or like Mao Zedong. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I mean, the EPA did treat them very well and not turn off the power. So I work in environmental science and like watching that, I was just like, why? What? No, I was just like, I wish the EPA were this effective. Like, <laughs> um, I mean, like the EPA is very important. I just mean that like it, they have been like, especially in the last four mm. years, very funded. Yeah. Um, but also like, I don't know. It sounds like really shady and they probably, probably do need to fill out an environmental impact report. <laughs> I don't know if those existed in 1984, but. Yeah. Uh, Neil, you have the next one. Pterodogs that come to life were actual statue designs on an old church in Philadelphia. Very cool. Cool. And that's. Well, the exterior scenes of the Ghostbusters headquarters were filmed at the hook and ladder number eight firehouse in the Tribeca section of New York city which I had to go visit when I was last in New York City. Inside the <laughs> firehouse are a Ghostbuster sign and photos taken with the cast and crew. Very cool. It's not it's not a functioning firehouse, right? It's a it is. firehouse. No, it's yeah. an actual firehouse. Oh, they actually they actually lost members in 9/11. Okay. Oh. Oh wow. All right. All right. Uh Rick, well, following on about the firehouse, the firehouse is actually two different firehouses in two different cities entirely. So the external site is actually one in New York City. And the interior is actually in downtown LA. And the LA, that, that particular LA firehouse has been used in many movies, actually. Very cool. Again, this is all IMDb. So take all these behind the scenes with a grain of salt. I thought they were cool. I don't know if they're true or not. I'm assuming more than likely they are. But uh, Michael Keaton turned down both the roles of Dr. Peter Venkman and Egon Spengler. I don't know why. I didn't hear why he turned them down. Well, it wouldn't you know, work. I can't say, I am Venkman. <laughs> <laughs> it was just multiplicity that. at the time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. All right. So Gozer, the, the demon, was originally going to be played by Paul Rubens, which I love Paul Rubens, yeah. who turned down the role. So in the original script, Gozer took on the form of Evo Shandor, which is the ghost building's architect, who started the original Gozer cult. Oh, that's interesting. That would make sense, too. Yeah, and he yeah. resembled a pale, slender, unremarkable man in a business suit. I could see Paul Rubens doing that for sure. Yep. <laughs> Not unremarkable, though. He's very remarkable. Um, and then Gozer's final form was described as David Bowie meets Grace Jones. Oh. Evo Shandor ultimately made his appearance in the Ghostbusters video game in 2009, which I um, which I played. And it's actually a really fun video game because they got the whole original cast, minus Rick Moranis for some reason, of all the people who wouldn't be on it. I believe he was retired at that point. I'm, I'm sure he was, yeah. It was just funny. They got Bill Murray. It's all the voices. Like you're playing video, you're playing, you're not playing one of them. You're playing like a rookie. And mm. you're, um, you're with Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd. And you guys are all like, you're you're learning how to be a ghostbuster it's a really fun game um and i thought it was cool they used they had they got the original guys to do it but that's that's funny that he was there on the um, video game yeah uh melody the stay puffed marshmallow man suit cost approximately twenty thousand dollars each three were made and all three were destroyed during filming wow Wow. yep not crazy that's why they do (laughs) cg now because they don't know yeah (laughs) 
Oh, that's... Uh, Neil, you have the next fact? This film was originally intended for an adult audience. The cast and crew were surprised to find that children loved the film as a fun fantasy adventure of scientists battling supernatural threats with cool backpack weapons. It led to a cartoon spinoff, The Real Ghostbusters, in 1986, and the sequel, Ghostbusters 2, 1989, played down the original film's adult elements, like smoking it's interesting Very cool. when they would show it on tv they would cut out the smoking scene. The yeah smoking. yeah yeah yep. I do oh yeah that. and they did for tv i didn't actually see that scene until today for the first time wow i've like, oh. only ever seen it on tv wow um, i know i was like oh did they always smoke and then i looked it up and i was like oh i mean like yes obviously because they didn't like reshoot this in 2021 but like yeah. uh, <laughs> it was edited for tv the, yeah. the director's cut. Like yeah. simpler times, yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see, Beth, you have the next one? Well, this uh, film, Ghostbusters, is Columbia Pictures' highest grossing film of all time when adjusted for inflation. Nice. Wow. That makes sense. It made a lot of money. And let's bring Rick. So Gozer was also a name related to a documented haunting in England. So the name Gozer just appeared mysteriously throughout the house written on walls and on other things. Well, it makes sense why Dan Aykroyd would use that name. That's he's really, really, that's really into cool. the paranormal. Yeah. Yeah. That's creepy. I was, <laughs> yeah. I was always fascinated by like Gozer and Zool and all these elements, these, you know, demigods and demons. And mm-hmm. I always wanted to know more. It was like, Oh yeah. Wait, what are they? Yeah. yeah like, you know, you just get a little in the movie and I don't rem- I I know I watched the cartoon, but I don't remember if any of I'm that comes sure up. It's not in no, there. At yeah. All. Yeah. It's all just kind of like ghost of the day. Yeah. Like yeah. Scooby Doo style, wasn't it? Kind of. Yeah. 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 You didn't get Tobin's spirit guide? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I need That's a guide. I wanted. I wanted that. <laughs> yeah. I want to get through yeah. about them. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's go with another question. Let's talk about our favorite scenes. Why don't you start us off, Haley? All right. So, well, my. I have to do two because the That's library fine. scene. I said scenes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, I really, I'll be quick. The The library scene is just amazing and mm-hmm. scary and also kind of fun. And um, I haven't rewatched the original movie in a while, but I just remember you get that and then you get the music. And mm-hmm. that's such, I have such a strong memory of that. But I also really love the hotel scene with Slimer. Mm. because it's a gr- it's a great scene with Venkman and Ray going back and forth and, you know, Bill Murray's reactions and he gets all slimed. And then the Slimer destroys that fancy hotel and they destroy the hotel. And it, I know it's like, it's, it's as a kid and even as an adult, it's, it's got a spooky effect because Slimer was creepy, but it, it was really fun and funny to watch still to this day. Very cool. Now let's go with Beth. I'm a huge fan of Dana's apartment scene because to me it was the scariest scene in the movie. When the, Which scene the, are we talking about? When she gets well, when taken? yeah, when the yeah. yeah, when the eggs are first popping out of the shells and the arms come out of the you know mm-hmm. the, the love seat and grab her and pull her. That terrified me. Yeah, as a kid, that was so scary. It was that like, that heart rush that you get? But that was definitely my favorite with the library scene coming in a very close second, probably for yeah. the humor. Um, yeah. But yeah, Dana's apartment that still gets to me even when I watch it now. <laughs> nice. How about you, Rick? Um, I really, really enjoyed the mayor scene. Oh, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought that was just so funny. Yeah. Especially, especially when my senior comes 
<laughs> He's like, don't quote me on that. But I just thought that whole scene was was well done from a from a from a comedic perspective. So I yeah. really enjoyed. It. Yeah, very cool. Um, and then I like I like like the scene at the top of the building where they're fighting Gozer. Oh yes, yep. That that's my that's one of my favorite is the final battle between them. It's yeah. just it's yeah, it's so good, so well done. How about you, Neil? I'm a big fan of uh, Dana Barrett's apartment. Those scenes, like with her being taken and the eggs, that always. I, and I always thought, well, that celery's going to bake too. You know, I think that's celery <laughs> cooking. But my all-time favorite is the scene in the beginning when they're when Bill Murray's doing the test with mm. the cards, and that oh, guy yes. he goes <laughs> and the gum falls out of his mouth, <laughs> and he just puts it back in. Yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> he knows he'd get shocked. Yeah, I love that. That that scene just kills me every time. Yeah, yeah, very cool. So I was just about comment about the about the one scene in Dana's apartment where you know the eggs are going. Did you read? Did you? I just I watched the show. I watched the movie again today, and I didn't realize. I didn't see till today that right next to the eggs is a bag of Stay Puft. I noticed that today too. Yeah. I never yeah. noticed that. Yeah, oh, that's I've, good. I've, I've noticed that in some viewings. There's also, a, supposedly, there's a big billboard of a safe up marshmallow, and that's where the marshmallow guy comes from at the end, which I have not seen. So it was in one of the behind the scenes <laughs> thing. I was like, oh, I'll have to go back and watch and see if I can find it. Uh, but yeah, interesting. How about you, Melody? So besides the scene at the top of the building, which is everyone's favorite because it's the yeah. best, I also just love all of the scenes. It's only a couple where Rick Moranis is a dog. Not like, not like he's the dog. He's like the literal dog. Like when he, it's Rick Moranis pretending to be a dog. He's possessed. He's yeah, when yeah. he's possessed. Yes. Yeah. That was going to be mine. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Oh, no. <laughs> I can pick another one. No, I mean, I, 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 obviously the opening scene, it's, it, it automatically pulls you into that movie with a librarian. Yeah. That's and just the music, yeah. Everything, yeah. Just the whole beginning yeah. is really great. The ending, again, stellar. Yeah, stellar, stellar, uh, stellar ending. Uh, I did like when uh, Lewis gets uh, possessed, and that was great. What can I pick as my favorite scene now? I don't know. The hotel, maybe the hotel, like Haley, just because that was when the first time we actually there are ghosts, you know, because before they were yeah. just testing it, and we saw the ghosts at the beginning, but we didn't really get, you know. Yeah. That was the beginning. That started it all. Once they got that and destroyed that hotel, they got the ghost. All of a sudden, it's like a montage, and they're like, you know, catching ghosts left and right. So yeah, I don't know. I I that's just a fun read to watch. Uh, I usually watch it at least probably once every few years. But I haven't watched it recently. Even for this, I was going to watch it before. Just didn't have time to watch it because I'm like, oh, I've seen it. I've seen it a million times. I I, I can I yeah. picture the words and the scenes and the, it's all in my head. So I'm like, I really, really, you know, don't need to watch it. I can memorize it all. But yeah, there's so many, so many memorable, memorable scenes. Let's go ahead and move on to some, some more facts. I think I have the first one here. In this apartment building uh, actually exists at 55 Central Park West in New York City. Uh, in real life, the building is only 20 stories high. Uh, for the film, a matte painting and models were used to make the building look bigger and with more floors. According to the DVD commentary, the top of the building is molded after the top of the Continental Life Building in St. Louis, Missouri. Haley. So there's a rumor, I guess, that Eddie Murphy was to play Winston, 
but had to back out after getting the lead in Beverly Hills Cop around the same time, which is interesting. Wow. But I love I, Beverly Hills I, Cop, so. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Ernie Hudson was so great. Yeah, I was oh, going to yeah. say, he was. I love he Ernie Hudson, and I, he, I can't really picture, I mean, you could picture Eddie Murphy, but I think Ernie Hudson did a Which great Which makes sense. I mean, job. I think this is more true, because he was an SNL alumni, and they were pulling all SNL alumni people. Yeah. Um, and I think Melanie has the next fact, and it's also part of that as well. Yeah, so the character of Winston was actually meant to have, uh, meant to have joined the team much earlier, and would have been slimed at the hotel, along with the rest of the Ghostbusters. But when Eddie Murphy declined the role, the script was rewritten to have Winston appear about halfway through the film. Which is a bummer. Mm-hmm. It's sad. I mean, they rewrote yeah, it because yeah. it wasn't Eddie Murphy. And I get it. You know, I mean, I mean, Ernie, Ernie Hudson wasn't a household name. I don't think I knew who he was until I watched him on Ghostbusters. So I can see them not wanting to give him a, a bigger role. But it would have been nice to the, for them to brought yeah. him in. Or a bigger paycheck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm sure, but even for the same screen time, he probably would have been a steal compared to Eddie Murphy at the time. Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah you are right. Uh, Neil, you have the next one for us. The role of Peter Venkman was originally written for John Belushi. He died as Dan Aykroyd was writing the script. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. You know, I actually heard, wow. I could be wrong on this, but I heard this, that uh, Slimer is actually loosely based on yep. uh, Belushi. I've seen that a lot and I just didn't put it in the thing, but yes, I think it's true. Dan Eckert wrote the script like 10 years prior to it being filmed. He had the script mm. written, the idea for a long time. So, yeah. So I believe I believe that. I heard that too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Beth, you have the next one. So the proton packs were much heavier than they looked. Some were heavier than others, depending on what the scene demanded. According to Ivan Reitman, none of the actors enjoyed work, but Harold Ramis complained the least. Reitman wouldn't say which actor complained the most. However, he did strongly imply that it was Murray. (laughs) (laughs) Hmm, Totally believable. (laughs) What? I didn't know that, but that makes sense. And I think that, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Haley, but there's a joke about that in the 2016 Ghostbusters. Yes. Being like super heavy and terrible. Yeah. And I think that's, oh yes, because um, Holtzman like recalibrates them and like rebuilds them to be more um, efficient. And Mm. yeah, because they are, there's a, there's a couple like prototypes and um, cosplay groups that build those. And they are very, even like the fan made ones are, it's extremely heavy to have all that gear and light up and everything. And yeah. Yeah. So. All right, uh, Rick, you have the next fact. So the Ecto-Mobile, Ecto-1, was originally going to be painted black until it was pointed out that most most of the driving would be done at night and then the car would be very difficult mm. to see. On that makes sense. I can see that. Yeah. Unintended. <laughs> <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> uh, all, all of the college scenes were filmed at Columbia University, including the fictional Weaver Hall office, slash lab interiors. Director Ivan Reitman decided to use the actual on-campus office instead of a soundstage so the film crew could film indoors if the weather turned bad. Columbia University agreed as long as the school was not mentioned by name on camera. Hmm. Well, that's interesting. I wonder if they regret that decision now. I would say, oh, yeah, I bet you they regret that now. Was it never mentioned that no. it was huh. at Columbia? No. Wow. No. Nope. You saw it was Weaver Hall. The yeah. Plate. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Interesting. That's crazy. All right, Haley. All right, so, dun, dun, dun. The rooftop set for the final confrontation between Gozer and the Ghostbusters 
occupied an entire soundstage and required 50,000 amps of electricity to be properly Whoa. lit. I don't know much about professional sound equipment, but that sounds like a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and Columbia Pictures actually had to shut down all the other stages while this scene was being filmed. I mean, it's so bright. Can you, it's, it's yeah. nothing but light. Wow. The entire inside is yeah. so overblown. So yeah, I can imagine. Don't want to get their electric bill. And a lot of, I feel like how many fog machines were they using? Oh, yeah. I want to know, like, 50,000? Was that equivalent in? Yeah. Truckloads of dry ice. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Melody, you have the next one? In the storyboards for the film, the guns were for the proton packs were actually supposed to be wands. They were long sticks with a ball on the end. The Ghostbusters fired them by flicking their wrists as a magician would and pointing the wands at the ghost. The wands were changed to laser guns. <laughs> right? No, that's exactly what I was thinking. The wands were changed to laser guns to fit the idea of the Ghostbusters creating their gear from practical equipment. That makes it sound like at the end of the Harry Potters, you know, when they're facing off with Voldemort. Almost, you know, hitting the streams. Yes. I think now there's a whole circle you're circling on here. Circle of life. Voldemort and Dumbledore, it looked like the pro it looked like the proton stream. It did, yeah. I'm glad they did the proton packs, even though they're heavy. You they it's just their oh cool yeah can you imagine them the... flicking their wands to get, <laughs> that would be, yeah. grab a ghost and, it would yeah. make sense uh neil you have the next fact ivan reitman didn't like the deluxe laser disc edition the higher density lighting made a lot of the mat work too obvious to ignore <laughs> laser the problem, discs. the problem with hd is that oh, when they uh, when they redo yeah re, they redo old movies because old movies were not made for high definition so you usually can see the makeup on faces. You can see mm-hmm. all the imperfections in, in everything that usual film can hide. But they still do it. Uh, Beth, you have the next one. John Candy. Oh. Good old John Candy. Oh. John Candy turned down the role of Lewis Tully because his ideas for the character were rejected. According to Ivan Reitman, among Candy's suggestions, he wanted the character to have a German accent and have a pair of Schnauzer dogs. <laughs> no one felt the German accent was appropriate for the character. And since there, were, there was dog imagery in the movie, which you may have seen it, the terror dogs, they felt having totally owned dogs was too much. Rick Moranis was then cast as Lewis. Thank goodness. I couldn't, imagine. Yeah. I couldn't imagine John Candy. I mean, I love John Candy, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always weird to hear who they considered for the cast when you're like, no, I mean, but we wouldn't know better. We probably would have loved yeah. it, you know. Well, I feel character. like the character would have been so different too because it, Lewis yeah. Kelly is like, he is like such a Rick Moranis character. He's like this withdrawn, like kind of nerd. Yeah. Nerdy. Also like very extroverted. Like, yeah. 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 It would have been different. And the imagery of very tall Sigourney Weaver next to really short, you <laughs> know, Rick Moranis works so brilliantly as a key yeah. master and gatekeeper that I'm like, yeah, no offense, yeah. John Candy, but I'm, I'm glad they went <laughs> oh. Love you, John Candy. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Rick, you have the next one? Yeah, so most of the deleted scenes were restored in the novelization. I would like to see that. There was, they said yeah. there was quite a few deleted scenes, so oh, cool. uh, it, it would be interesting to, to see that, or to read them at least. There was actually one of the deleted scenes was a scene where Ray was having, was making out with a female ghost. Because they wanted to give Ray sort of a, I do, I, a romantic girlfriend, and they I, decided to scrap the scene and then just take some of the parts that they had filmed 
and turn it into that sequence of him. Yeah, you're right. That female I, did, I yeah. read that in behind the scenes. You're right. Oh, yeah, they man. actually did film that whole scene, but they just showed his pants getting undone yeah. magically. Yes, and then, and then <laughs> the girl actually, floating above him. I believe him. there is, a, yeah, there's the girl floating above him. Yeah, so she's floating above him, but there was a whole scene of them actually. Yeah, that, wow. yeah that they got. That makes more sense because it's just this random, like, he's woken up in the middle of the night to like a sexy ghost floating above him on just his yeah. buckle. Which, why do you wear pants with a with a belt to bed? I just don't know. <laughs> I, I so can like, unbuckle it. It's a dream. You to be ready. <laughs> yeah. I'm guessing it's like a fireman thing, right? <laughs> like in a firehouse, and they have to be like ready to catch yeah. a ghost on a moment's notice. There we go. There we go. Jump up into your boots. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I got uh, another question, and we have a few more facts, and then we are done. So I'm going to. Uh, this is a multi-facet question here. Uh, have you watched sequels, any of the cartoons, and do you plan on watching the new sequel that's coming out soon? Uh, well, soon as we're recording this, by the time this comes out, it'll probably already be out. Who knows? We'll see. Uh, let's go with uh, Melody. Sure. Yeah. So I've seen all the Ghostbuster things. I Yeah. So I've seen both the cartoon with the original cast, the cartoon that has like the junior Ghostbusters who are learning. Mm-hmm. How to be Ghostbusters, the first and second movie, the reboot. And I do plan on seeing the new one. And I'm really excited that they're continuing with the franchise because I think that, like, I have a lot of friends who are Gen Z and a lot of them, like, don't vibe with the older movies as much or um, just, like, haven't even seen them and are only mostly aware of Ghostbusters through memes, like the Weston song by Neil Cesariga or other kind of like Ghostbusters stuff. So I think, like, introducing the franchise to a new generation will be really cool. I don't know when I'll see it because we're not going to movie theaters yet for COVID in my home. So maybe when it comes like to like streaming services or we'll go to the drive-in in in Montclair. Uh, Okay. How about uh, you, Neil? Uh, I did see the sequel. I loved it. And I remember watching, catching the cartoons every now and again, Mm -hmm. um, but never really caught on. Yeah, for me, and oh yeah, I I fully plan to see the the sequel. I, the the uh, trailer just looked fantastic. I'm yeah. excited. The cartoons were definitely for like little little kids. Like the cartoons, I yeah, feel, yeah. I yeah. don't remember yeah. watching them much because I was probably too old for them. But how about you, Rick? Um, I've seen pretty much everything. Um, I did watch the cartoons, even though I was not an. I was not a kid, uh-huh. but if it was Ghostbusters, I didn't want to miss anything. So, yep. you know, and you spent, you know, the best thing about having kids is you get to watch all the stuff with them and <laughs> pretend that you're just there because, you know. No apologies. That's there. right. Yeah. But yeah, I did see, I, got, I saw Ghostbusters 2. Didn't think it was as strong as the first, but I did enjoy it. Yeah. Um, I saw, you know, the 2016 reboot, which I thought was really good. I don't know why it got next I thought it was great. Yeah, I enjoyed it. And after left is going to be fantastic. So I am totally all in. I've got, I have a bunch of, there's a whole bunch of us that are just simply waiting to get the message that says tickets are available. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Because in Illinois, the the theaters are open, but you know, with AMC, I like the fact that I can pick my seats. So it's always their seating. And so I can pick my seats and then keep looking every day. And then if it looks like it's getting too full, then I'll cancel those seats. Return them. Another yep. showing where the theater isn't very full. Yep. So yeah. To try to minimize my exposure. All right. Next up, uh, Beth. 
Um, so the 89 sequel, I actually did love partly because as we mentioned, they kind of dumbed it down for kids and I was a kid mm-hmm. and it was Ghostbusters and who didn't love Vigo. Um, but yeah, that whole movie was just so much fun. And, uh, I was a sucker for it, even though I knew instinctually, I think I knew that it wasn't as great, but I still loved it. Yeah. Um, I did watch the cartoon, but I don't honestly remember much of it. I just know that I watched it like Saturday morning cartoon kind of things. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, you all have said that you like the 2016 version, um, and I'm an outlier with most people I know because I very much liked it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a great time. It's not perfect. It's got some flaws that kind of irk me because I'm like, you guys, you missed the point of the first one, but mm-hmm. it's fine. Yeah. Uh, but no, I love so much of it that I'm. I watched it recently, actually. I love Kevin, by the way. Huge fan of Kevin. Kevin. <laughs> the small yes. guys, but Kevin was special. I really, I actually really like the the 2016 Ghostbusters as well. Yeah. 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 So. Yeah. It's yeah, I don't understand the vitriol for it. Well, I kind of understand so, but uh, yeah. I don't like the vitriol for it. It's like it's fine if you don't like the movie, but come on. Yeah. Um, now as far as the new one, I'm so torn because a part of me was like, this looks like fun. Uh part of me is annoyed because I really don't like Jason Reitman. So mm, I'm gotcha. I, I don't want to kind of see it because I don't want him to ruin my childhood. Gotcha. But at the same time, I don't want to not see it because it's Paul Rudd and it's Ghostbusters. And so I'm really torn, honestly. I'm not excited for it, but I probably will end up seeing it. Gotcha. How about you, Haley? All right. So I've I've definitely loved the original movie and the sequel um, as a kid and as an adult. In the the second film, the Statue of Liberty, the music, when they're Mm -hmm. riding Lady Liberty to save the day. (laughs) I just, I love that scene so much. It's so fun. And I, I've watched the cartoon. I played the, um, the 2009 video game. And I, as you can see, I'm dressed as Holtzman. I really enjoyed the 2016 film. I thought it was really fun. I love those ladies. I love that cast. And yes, it wasn't perfect. But I was, I was bummed. They, they set it up. You know, there's that end credit scene where she says Zool, right? Zool or Gozer. She says one of the names. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was excited. And, and, you know, they're not, they're not doing anything with the ladies again, unfortunately. Which I'm like, okay, you guys can make two Weekend and Bernie's movies, but you can't <laughs> give the, the Ghostbusters another run. Like, there's plenty of movies that have sequels that have oh. made way farther. Yeah. Anyways. I like I said, it's not perfect, but I I had a lot of fun with those characters and um and the new one I just actually watched I watched two trailers today. I didn't realize there was two out. I hadn't watched any trailers. Mm-hmm. And I I definitely my I love Paul Rudd. He is my I just love him so much. He's my favorite of all time. So I love that he's in it, but I, I I'm I'm just I'm not sure. I mean, I'll go see it because I see everything Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't want to be like super pumped or, you know, I just want to go in with like, a, I'm going to enjoy it. I'm, I'm, I have to wait. Our household has to take extra precautions yeah. with the pandemic, even though we're vaccinated. So we probably, I didn't realize it was coming out so soon. I kept thinking it was another 2022 movie because so many movies are coming out in 2022. It's insane. Mm-hmm. So we're probably, we have a baby at home. So we're probably going to, um, hold off until like a rental situation or um yeah 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 but I, cool. I just there was there was a lot of cg in the trailer where sometimes i get kind of grumpy about that but i'm not going to be judgmental i'm just like <laughs> I, yeah no i enjoyed obviously i was a huge fan so i enjoyed the second movie like rick i did watch some of the cartoons 
I don't recall. I didn't watch them re- repeat like every single week, so I didn't see all of it. And I know there are like various versions of it too, but I also collect action figures. So there was Ghostbuster action figures that went along with cartoons. Now there's Ghostbuster action yeah. figures that, you know, they're doing retro action figures from the first movies. Um, and I've collected all those. But yes, uh, and I yes, I'm definitely 100% going to see the sequel because it looks incredible. And if it, it, it still feels like it has the original the original kind of heart to it. So and it's a weird character. Spangler, I would never thought we would follow Spangler's life. You know, if anyone would be Ackroyd or uh, uh, Ray. He was, yeah, yeah. I figured it'd be his family. So it's, 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 yeah, very cool. All right, let's go ahead. We're going to do our final facts and then we will be done. I have the first one here. Dan Ackroyd describes Stay Puff as a cross between Michelin Man and the Pillsbury Doughboy. He wanted to create a fictional brand mascot that everyone would have grown up with. And he did. As a kid, I actually thought it was the man. Yeah. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, you thought he yeah. was? Okay. Well, because he did he a good job so then. He does. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yep. I, I, I did too. I did too, Melody. I thought the same thing. Yeah. Uh, Haley, you have the next one. All right. So apparently Christopher Walken, John Lithgow, Christopher Lloyd and Jeff Goldblum, whom I love all of those men, mm-hmm. were apparently all considered for the role of Dr. Egon Spangler. Huh. Again, would have been I a different... Now Jeff Goldblum had done it. <laughs> <laughs> that would have so weird. I would watch all of these. Like, they'd be very different, but I'd watch uh, it. Yeah. Christopher yeah, Walken. Yeah. Christopher Walken would have been weird. <laughs> <laughs> it would have worked if you hadn't stopped me. <laughs> I think I would have picked Goldblum for Jeff Goldblum if I had to replace out of those four. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Christopher Lloyd though. But I would he have been like too Doc Brown. Yeah, it would have been too Doc Brown. He would have just been playing Doc Brown Hank, which Doc Brown would be friends with those guys. You know Doc Brown would be helping them out and he'd be like, No, you gotta put the flux capacitor in the proton pack (laughs) and then it'll (laughs) now we're Ghostbusters in time. Yeah. Oh my god, just come up with a new franchise. (laughs) Somebody get somebody somebody on the phone right now. Uh, All right. Uh, Melody, you have the next one. All right, Dan Aykroyd's original title for the film was Ghost Smashers. Yeah, it doesn't, <laughs> doesn't have the same ring. Mm. Also, I just feel like smashing makes me feel good. <laughs> that sounds like that's a completely different story. <laughs> that's even more inappropriate. Wow. Than <laughs> <laughs> which, wow. Which, by the way, I think we have to give some credit to that song, also making this a cult classic. Because oh my gosh. that yes. song is, you can't, like, you hear that song and it makes, I don't know, it's just like you get pumped. Yeah. It's fun. And you it's, sing along with it. And, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. You bet. 100%. Go 100%. Ray Parker Jr., man. That's uh-huh. right. Uh, Neil, you have the next behind the scenes. Uh, Ghostbusters was released the same day as Gremlins. 1984. I love that movie. I saw both of those in theaters, but I don't remember which one I saw first. Yeah, I don't know. Are they are they not from the same studio? No, from the same studio. No, I think they're different. I think Gremlins is Warner Brothers. Yeah, and I thought I thought it came out at Christmas time. It's like a Christmas movie. Nope, summer. So weird. Wow. (laughs) Uh, Beth. So Harvey Comics creator Casper sued the producers claiming the ghost in the logo was too close to the Casper 
the Casper character Fatso. The court ruled against them, stating there were only so many ways to draw a ghost. Yeah, when I read that, I was like, oh, yeah, I can see. He kind of looks like Fatso from the Casper series. Um, But yeah, there's only so many, you know, (laughs) unshaped white globs you could do, so... (laughs) Blinky. Yeah, you can't make it look like Casper. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. All right, let's go with Rick. So the title Ghostbusters was already taken, and a long legal battle ensued before the makers secured the rights. But the initial shooting even had two takes of that sign being put up outside the firehouse, one that said Ghostbusters and one that said Ghostbreakers. So ultimately, the filmmakers saw this as too much work to to shoot everything twice, and so they settled on, on the first choice, hoping that the title would eventually be cleared in time. Wow. Yeah, that's a really cool story. Who had the um, title? I don't know if you guys do uh, watch uh, the movies that made us. Yeah. It's an incredible Netflix series. series. But there's one on Ghostbusters, and this is all talked yep. about. How the, I mean, they literally went down to like two weeks before it was going to be put out on air, you know, on that they, they just got the legal rights. And you know what? And I can't remember who had the title. Somebody it was in a Bob... Bob Hope movie, or was it Bob Is that Hope? what it was? I can't remember. Back in the 40s. Yeah. Um, and the only yeah. reason they got it is because the person who was in charge of the company who started producing Ghostbusters, and then the company who owned the rights to the Ghostbuster title, that head of that company, he left that company and to work for the other company, became the head of the other company, and gave approval for them to use it. So it was just happenstance that he left one job where he started Ghostbusters, and then he was the key to getting the title of it. So he allowed it, which I thought that's so interesting. Yeah, if you guys don't watch those, how uh, the movies that made us, they're they're just incredible. Especially if you're a behind the scenes. Really, really like good. Yeah. They're so good. They're so good. I started season three today. Oh, I, I went through all of them in one sitting. So I'm done already. <laughs> uh, all right, here we go. Steve Gutenberg turned down the role of Peter Venkman to star in Police Academy in 1984. Hmm. Which probably was a good move for him because he did like what seven or eight of those movies. So. <laughs> Haley. Contemporary viewers have taken issue with Bankman's line that he gave Dana Thorazine as the drug has been used in cases of date rape. But in the 1980s, the drug had a reputation as a safe and effective way of bringing people down from bad trips. Which I I've watched the movie not too long ago, but I don't remember specifically him saying Thorazine. Um, mm. And I didn't realize that's what it was. Yeah. So that's. But again, it's a, it's a sign of the time. It's really difficult. To, I mean, yeah, that's, that's, to, that's yeah. the thing is, yeah. In the 1980s, yeah. is that something they would actually use for someone who yeah. needed to yeah. be sedated? That's yeah. Yeah. All right. Melody, you have the next one. I'm interviewing Alice, the librarian, Peter asks the incredibly inappropriate question if she is currently <laughs> yeah that was awkward the shocked head librarian asks what does that have to do with anything and peter replies back off man i'm a scientist so you could read this as peter vinkman being funny or inappropriate with women's bodies you could also think about the correlation between menstrual cycles and latent telekinetic powers in parapsychology peter was potentially trying to determine if alice might have actually caused the disturbance herself either physically or through psychic powers that are associated with menstrual cycles in women i thought that was so interesting wow, wow. I, didn't, I didn't know that was a real thing but i mean is it, it i is. don't know because 
because I just get really crampy and bloated, but I would love some psychic powers. So. <laughs> I, I can tell you, I did not get that joke when I was a kid. Yeah. That's one of the ones I uh, got later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I really love the librarian's reaction when he asked him the question. What's <laughs> that got to do with it? And yeah. I love that. But reaction I think like, so like Mel, you said, I think everyone thinks he just went for a joke, but the fact that there is scientific, well, not scientific, but there is, you know, information behind menstruation and, and telekinesis, telekinesis. So, wow. Interesting. I would love to know about that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you already do. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, like I personally hate that scene, but I think that like yeah. in that context, it does work on multiple levels because yeah. he is kind of already established as someone who has really poor boundaries around women and like sexualizes them in a way that it kind of like makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, by that point in the scene that Neil mentioned earlier with the, with the, uh, student the cards. The, yeah. The cards. Yeah. Yep. Um, and, uh, so, so it, you, I, you can read it like either way, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's cool. All right. Neil, you have the next one. Okay. Um, the bookcase falling down behind Peter Ray and Egon was unscripted and it fell down on its own during a take. And the filmmakers decided to keep it in the movie to add tension. Wow. Nice. That's cool. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, Beth. The original story took place years in the future and featured several groups of Ghostbusters. The Marshmallow Man appeared on page 20 and was one of several large-scale monsters. Reitman says if they had made that film as written, it would have cost about $300 million in 1984. It was Reitman's idea to focus on one group of Ghostbusters, a group who worked out of a station like Firemen. It was Reitman and Ramus's idea to show how the Ghostbusters got started rather than starting the film after the profession had been established. Oh. I think that was a good choice. Yeah. Yes. It would have been weird. It would have been too much to try and tell a multi-generational Ghostbuster story in two hours. You know? Yeah, just... as the first time you were ever introduced to it. Yeah, yeah it would have ever. been crazy. Maybe a sequel. I would be okay yeah. with seeing multiples, but not the very first one. All right. And our final behind the scenes, Rick. So when the Ghostbusters agreed to cross the streams to defeat Gozer, Winston claims... This job is definitely not worth eleven five a year. At the time of the movie, a salary of eleven thousand five hundred dollars per year implied a weekly salary of two hundred and twenty one dollars and fifteen cents, or a monthly salary of nine hundred and fifty eight dollars and thirty three cents. So adjusted for inflation, the yearly salary for a Ghostbuster in early twenty twenty one would be twenty eight thousand nine hundred and fifty two dollars and seventy seven cents. Right. So that's a monthly salary of $2,162 or a weekly salary of $599. So basically, you can make more money like working at McDonald's. Yes. Or Uber. Yes. When no, I read no, that, no, I was like, Uber. Yeah. to live in New York for what? that. I, I mean, no, yeah. you can't afford to live almost anywhere with that kind of money. That's so he was right. My station house. He was right. Yes. Five years. When he makes it, yeah, when he says, it's like, that's so true. You know, at the time, you don't really think about it, but you put, put it in perspective. There's no yeah, way. Talk about not having hazard pay, Jeez. <laughs> yeah. Personally, when I got my first job at the age of 20, it was for $13,200 oh, a year. And I wasn't living in New York City. Yeah, yeah that's, yeah. that's oh, wow. about what I made for my first job as well. I was making about 12800 a year. But I actually had two jobs. But Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. And I'm sure neither of you were Ghostbusters. So they were Ghostbusters. <laughs> all right guys thanks again for joining me for this roundtable this was a lot of fun it was just 
Ghostbusters is such a classic film, and I had so much fun just reminiscing it about it with you guys. And uh, so I want to thank Neil, Rick, Melody, Haley, and Beth. And uh, of course, I want to thank my listeners for coming back each month and listening. So until next time, guys, take care. Remember, though, if somebody asks if you're a god, you, you say, say yes. 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 <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, hopefully you guys enjoyed that roundtable. As I mentioned, it was a lot of fun discussing uh, this topic with these specific people, uh, hearing all our different experiences with the movie, why we think it's important in our culture, when we first saw it, how it, you know, what kind of impression it left on us, uh, all that kind of good stuff. So uh, I just want to thank my amazing co-hosts once again. I want to thank Neil, Rick, Haley, Beth, and Melody. And of course, I want to thank our amazing listeners for coming back each month and joining us for the roundtable. So until next time, guys, take care. I want to take a moment and thank my supporters on Patreon. I really do appreciate your monthly donations. It helps counter some of the costs that come with producing podcasts each month. So I really do appreciate your support. If you guys want to help me out and be a monthly donator or just give a contribution one time for one month, you can find me on Patreon. Just look up Geeky Fanboy Productions and I would really appreciate it. Thanks again, guys. That was the scene in California's Mojave Desert five years ago. Our historic first view of the newcomer's ship. Theirs was a slave ship carrying a quarter million beings bred to adapt and labor in any environment. But they've washed ashore on Earth with no way to get back to where they came from. And in the last five years, the newcomers have become the latest addition to the population of Los Angeles. Alienation, the Newcomers Podcast, is a fan cast devoted to the groundbreaking but short-lived TV series Alienation. This series tackles social issues like racism, bigotry, and intolerance with an alien twist. Each month, we will bring you a podcast dedicated to a single episode. The host will give you their thoughts on the episode, as well as some little-known behind-the-scenes information. So please subscribe to Alienation, the Newcomers Podcast on iTunes, or visit our website at alienationpodcast.com. Attention, attention. Are you a fan of MASH, one of the most groundbreaking television series in history? Then take a listen to the MASH 4077 podcast, where hosts discuss their thoughts episode by episode. They will also share with you some little-known behind-the-scenes information, trivia, and so much more. So come and find them on iTunes by searching MASH 4077 podcast or online at www.mash4077podcast.com. The Geek Roundtable Podcast is a geeky fanboy production and has a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, works 3.0, United States license, all rights reserved.